0: All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Jake Dunlap Show. We are very excited that you joined us. If you haven't tuned in, this is the show where we talk to celebrities, thought, and industry leaders to really discover their journey to success. I am super excited that you're joining us. This show is like no other, I can promise you that. You might laugh, you might cry, but you will definitely leave inspired and gain a whole new level of insight into those people that you follow, love and admire all right welcome everyone to another episode of the jake dunlap show uh, where every week we are sitting down with some of the most inspirational people business leaders athletes celebrities talking about their story and what we find is that we can learn from their stories we can all relate to different phases of our life and we're telling those stories every single week so today's guest this is exciting, right? She's a woman of incredible strengths, intelligence, and determination. She's a passionate ed- educator. She's earned her master's degree while training for the Olympics. She represented our country four times, which that's got to be like, you know, top like 2%, right? Uh, world champion athlete, mother of three, dominated breast cancer, and displayed amazing resilience and fighting spirit throughout her career, really befitting her, se- her status as a true Olympian, I have with me none other than Shantae Lowe. Shantae, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: I need to take you everywhere with me, Jake, because that was <laughs> <is> awesome. <laughs> uh,
0: well, hey, it's it's I mean, what you've done is pretty amazing. So it it makes for uh it makes it easier for me. So uh as as we talked about before, you know, the, this is about you know talking about from the very beginning to current. So uh, we're going to start early. So, born in Templeton, California, which I looked up and I was like, I think I know ballpark. And I'm like, oh man, Templeton's like in Paso Robles, this beautiful <laughs> wine country. Yes. I was like, okay, that's why I've heard of this. So, tell me, so for you, you know, what was life those first, you know, kind of again, you were there till you were about 12? Tell me, what was life like for you early on growing up in Templeton, uh, you know, in, in an area like that? I have to imagine. It's got to be, you know, fun, interesting, maybe not.
1: (laughs) You take it for granted. So when I grew up there, nobody knew where Templeton was. And so we'd have to say, well, you know, well, we're, and actually Templeton was the small town where I actually lived. So I lived in Paso Robles, but the only hospital was in Templeton. So that's how I was born in Templeton. And then we'd say, oh, well, we're from San Luis Obispo. And they're like, where's that? I'm from Santa Barbara. Uh, okay. Los Angeles. And Santa Barbara was like two hours away, but right. that's how small Templeton was. And it was, I didn't appreciate it when I was a kid because it was boring. But like when I went back as a doll, I was like, oh my gosh, this place is beautiful.
0: <laughs> and so, tell me a little bit about family life. What was it like growing up there for you? Um, again, this is kind of pre-high school years.
1: Yeah. So I had, I lived with my mom, a single mom and my two sisters absolutely loved, um, adored my sisters. We fought a lot, but we had a lot of fun. I was the youngest of the three. And then my, um, my mom had brothers and sisters that all lived in the area. So I had a lot of first cousins that I grew up with. So we went to elementary school together. Um, the older ones went to middle and high school together. It was like just having a really big extended Tribe of females. We were all girls. There we were no boys. All girl so. cousins. All girls. All girls. All girls.
0: And- yeah, it's funny. I had the exact opposite. It was me, and uh, there were eight boys. It was all really? boy cousin, <laughs> and then the next four were all women. So it was. It was like the the flip flop.
1: Yep. So, you know how it is. Like at a certain point in time, you are like, oh my gosh, I want to see a boy. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun. We grew up playing in the river, like the riverbeds and, you know, catching tadpoles, catching worms that we thought were earthworms, which were actually leeches. So, my mom oh, screamed yes. when we brought them home.
0: Um, <laughs> were they like stuck with the leeches stuck to you? And you're like, look, mom.
1: My sister, actually, she would, they would like, look at these earthworms and get them stuck to her finger. And then my mom was like, oh, my gosh. And she'd take a hot, like a hot, um, what's it called? A needle. She would heat up the needle needle, and touch touch them with it. And then they'd come out. Yeah. So, yeah, we played. We got ticks and all that type of stuff.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. That's, yeah, again, I don't think a lot of people, when they think about that area, they think about, you know, playing in creek beds and, uh, you know, having fun and, you know. All over the place except for in the wineries, right? So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, okay, so so these are these early years, you're you know, you're doing these you know, is there you know, were you playing sports at this time? Were you, you know, into athletics at this time, or did that come later?
1: Uh you cut out a little bit so I didn't hit the end of that question.
0: Uh let's see. Yeah, it should be well for some reason, yeah, I can I can't see your video, but I don't know if you
1: I can't see your video, so I could see my video, but I can't see yours. It says your video has d- been disabled due to internet quality issues, but that, your video right. is still being recorded.
0: All right. Well, there we go. All right. So you can hear me now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so I'll rephrase. I'll, I'll, I'll tee it back up. So okay. you're, you ha- you're doing all these fun, you know, things as a, as a child growing up at what point do you start to get into athletics or is that later?
1: Yeah. So I was the product of being a very, very, very active child. So the way that my mom parented, she let us come home from school and literally go outside and play until the streetlights came on. So I'm saying from three to like eight o'clock every single day, we're rollerblading in the streets. We're having makeshift baseball where we have like random pieces of trash as the bases and we're hitting the ball down the street. Um, We would ride bikes and and it was it was that type of like childhood where you just are experiencing life. And there was a time point where I really did want to go and take part in organized sports. But I was told by the coach, like, you know, sorry, you can't come because you don't have the money to participate. And I remember it broke my heart. And so that's kind of, though, how I got led to actually do track and field, because it was so much um, more inexpensive, and we had a coach named Henry Jenkins in Paso Robles who started a track club, and actually was taking kids to the uh, Hershey State Meet. So that's how I was able to get into organized sports.
0: Oh wow! Okay, this is this is interesting. <laughs> so what? So how old were you when that happened? That ballpark?
1: All right, I'll say ballpark maybe the first time I was able to go in third grade. And then okay. I went every single year after that. So third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. I think sixth grade was
0: my last year. All right. So so you decide, okay, I'm going to do, do track. And I mean, at that age, you're not doing – there's no high – There's there high jump at that? No, there's yeah, no high jump say. at that yeah, point. Yeah, I not think
1: so. So, yeah. you know, standing long jump, sprinting, relays, and it's 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 a lot of fun. But, like, just getting thrown into that world of, like – It's honestly, it feels like the kids at these state meets are already professionals. They're so fast. They have amazing form. And we're just there like in our t-shirts and shorts and
0: (laughs) getting our butts
1: kicked. (laughs) And not really. We were good.
0: Yeah. Well, that's cool. So again, like that, that sounds like that was like an interesting kind of inflection point for you where obviously just because of circumstance a little bit, you get exposed. Um, And then, and then at 12, you move to Riverside. Uh, and yeah. what was, you know, what, what was the reason for the move, uh, you know, again, and as you kind of go through junior high to high school, a lot of different, yeah. you know, accolades and things that you were able to accomplish, but what was the reason for the move and what were some of the things that you remember, uh, you know, your first few years in Riverside?
1: Yeah. So the reason for the move was actually a really, really rough family situation. We, um, you know, I'd always wanted to be an Olympic track athlete after watching the Olympics when I was four years old, like that was my goal. So when I'm running in the streets, it was like with a purpose, like, okay, one day I'm gonna be in those stands. People are going to be cheering my name, you know, <laughs> that's,
0: that's and, amazing. Uh, was who, who your athlete? <laughs> did you, did you have an athlete? Oh, Flojo. Flojo. Flo-Jo. Flo-Jo. I was going to say it had to be Flojo.
1: She was the only athlete I knew. I didn't even know anyone else. It's You're like just, Carl it Lewis, was hard. never
0: heard of you, Carl. Like
1: <laughs> Eventually, eventually when I started doing my homework, I learned about Carl Lewis. And um, yeah, so you know, when I was away at this track meet, I come back home and actually that's when um things kind of took a turn for the worse. So my mom, she did get married and she was in a abusive relationship where where, you know, she was fighting for her life at one point. And She spiraled into a really difficult mental health situation where there was a lot of um, um, depression and anxiety and, you know, just just from having that traumatic experience. And so she ended up losing her job. She lost um, our house that we lived in. So when I went away to the track meet, uh, one of the state track meets, my last one and came back, we were actually homeless. So I came back and, you know, all of our belongings and property were wow. actually in the front yard of our house. And we had to wait for the sheriff to come and escort us off to property. So, you know, my mom had to send my sisters to go live with their father. We both had different biological fathers, or, or, all three. Well, the two had the same father and I had a different father. And so she sent me away to go live with. Um, no, actually, I stayed with her. My sisters were sent away. We tried to rough it, you know, for a year and, you know, having places to stay on and off. But eventually after a year of trying to do that, I felt like she believed that it was in my best interest to be in a more stable environment. And so she sent me to go live with her mother down in Riverside. And and, and I'm so grateful for that because my sisters were also there, too. So, you know, my mom was able to just have the responsibility of taking care of herself and then, you know, I was with my grandmother, but I got to spend a whole lot of time with my sisters. So that's how I ended up in Riverside.
0: Yeah. Well, life, life takes you where it takes you sometimes.
1: Life punches you in the it, face it, sometimes. It, it, it just
0: tells, <laughs> you don't get to choose. I was talking yeah. to, to someone else about this the other day and it's like, why can't it just, just like keep going like this? You know, like why doesn't yeah. it, yep. it never just keeps going, but then, you know, then we come out you know, different and changed and better many times on the other side, so.
1: But, you know, uh, it's also a matter of, like, your mindset when you go into it and how you view it and how you approach it. For me, it was an amazing adventure. You know, obviously it was a crummy situation, But my mindset was that I'm about to partake in this amazing adventure. And one of the things I held on to, I thought about those girls from Southern California and Northern California that were like kicking butt in track. And I was like, I get to train with these girls. I'm going to go and find them. And I'm training with them. So I'm going to get better. So I thought of it as part of my life plan to get where I wanted to go.
0: That's great. And you knew that even back then. You had that foresight back then to say, okay, this is actually going to help me to do this or do that. What do you what do you feel like? Because I think that that's I mean, you're 12, right? I mean, this is like seventh grade. What do you if you kind of look back at life before that, even what do you feel like taught you that or, you know, gave you that, I guess, confidence or because I don't know, I mean, I think a lot of people would be uh, maybe me too, maybe scared or just like, I'm going to go in this environment. Oh, my gosh, they're fast. And like, what do you feel like gave you that confidence to, you know, to have that mindset?
1: Um, it started out with play at recess. So like, you know, I would always, I'm the type of person, like I put targets on people's back and not like in a bad way, but like, as far as like, when I was trying to get faster in elementary school, I knew, let's say starting, I was maybe the eighth fastest. So I'd put a target on the seventh fastest person's back and I'm like running, you know, running with them until I'm faster than them. And I would just keep moving forward until I was the fastest one. And so I learned that, You know, when you start by running with that person, emulating what they do, and then trying to find a way to improve upon it, and and I've I've just done that in so many different areas of my life, in my education, you know, in anything that I want for my life. I'm like a personal shopper, but like I look at other people, like, huh, I want that, I want that, that. (laughs) little (laughs) that, yeah, yeah, and I, I just. I just, I know that it starts by emulating and then perfecting it to be your own. And, and I, I learned that at a really, really young age. So I know that going Riverside would help me get with those athletes and compete with them and train with them, emulate them until I could eventually be the best one.
0: I think that's such an important story. I think, uh, you know, I see a lot of people take the opposite approach, which is almost, I've got to figure it out on my own. I've got to do it my way. Um, I've got to try to just, you know, Maybe it's pride or ego. I've Mm -hmm. got to try to just make it my own. Where the reality is, you know, we all look to other people and emulating doesn't mean copying. It means, hey, they're doing it, they're faster for a reason or they're learning, they're better (laughs) for a reason. Why don't I just copy that? I've told a story many times about my own career when I was early on and and I was in a sales environment. And I just, I was young, I was 23. There's people, you know, six, you know, 10 years older. I just like say whatever they said. Like, I don't, as opposed to trying to reinvent the wheel. That's what allowed me to progress really quickly is that I didn't have the ego and I didn't have that, you know, oh, I've got to, I've got to do it my own way. And I'm not going to let anyone, you know, tell me or shape, you know, shape me. And so I think it's a a powerful story for a lot of folks. And, and so then you're, you're at Riverside now. So you're in, you're in high school now. If we fast forward just a little bit. And, you know, at what point do you get into to high jump? At what point, did, I mean, does that start to become like a thing? And, um, you know, at what point maybe do you start to realize like, you know, all right, like, okay, this dream is like we're moving, you know, like this thing's we're moving forward on this.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's really important what you just said. It's like, you know, when you, when you look at what somebody else did, and you start emulating. A lot of people think that it's about working harder. And like we say, it has to be hard work. And so, in your mind, you draw this picture of what's really hard. Well, building something from the ground up is really, really hard. Um, I, when it comes to me doing the high jump, I start. It kind of started like in a trickle. It started with um, a dancing, like dancing. We're dancing to the song "Crisscross a Make It Jump, Jump." A daddy back and make it. Yep. <laughs> and so, like we're jumping on these mattresses in my house. And I, I actually fall off the mattress, but I'm still, cause the mattress is on the floor. So I'm still jumping and my head is almost touching the ceiling. This is like when I'm like eight or nine. And so standard ceiling house, not, not like vaulted ceilings or anything like that. But, and I'm like, I'm really good at this. And so when I moved to Riverside, um, during PE, they had a, a, try everyone else's sport type thing. And one of the events that we did was the high jump. And I beat all the girls. And then I beat all the boys. And I was like, huh, there's something here. And, you know, every athlete's dream is to be the sprinter, just like, like in a sales environment. Every, every person's dream is to be the top producing, top salesperson, but you might need to like go specialize in employee benefits or like, you know, something else to have your own thing. And sprinting was really, really um, competitive and not, not like go to something else that has less fire, but I had a skill set that developed when I was much younger. And I saw a peak of where my natural talent was and I felt like I could add on to it more easily. So when um, high school started, I was in the sprint group and I just kept looking at the high jump like I could beat these girls like today. I could beat the seniors today. And I said that my freshman year. My coach thought I was crazy and the high school uh, high jump coach was like, no. You go do your sprinting, leave my group alone. I was like, and I bothered him every day for a week. And he was like, fine. After your hard sprinting workout, come to the high jump pit. If you beat all these girls, you could high jump. If not, leave me alone. Don't bother me about this high jump thing again. I whooped all their butts.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're nice girls, it. but but I whooped all their butts. And I, I was able to claim that event as my own. So... That's how my high jump journey started with somebody telling me I couldn't do something and with me understanding where my natural talent was and where I had the best chance to like really advance.
0: And how did you, I mean, I think another story in here is just about letting go of that ego of like being a sprinter, right? Was there a time when you looked, I mean, or as you're like, well, yeah, I'll do this high jump, but. I still want to be the best at, you know, the 100 or 200 or 400 or whatever it is. And how did you, you know, and maybe it was easy to just kind of like let that go and realize, hey, look, this is where I'm naturally good. There's no pride or ego in it. How did you kind of let go and make that transition so quickly?
1: Yeah. So I think even like in track and field or even as it correlates to business, we want to hold on to so many things where we can't give 100% to either thing. And so, like, we're trying to juggle multiple things at the same time. So I was doing the same thing where I was trying to be on the relays, running the 400. I was still trying to sprint. I tried to pick up the hurdles. And by my junior year, I had, like, five to seven events, like, that I was good at and could switch in and out. But I wasn't the best at anything. And I would say, like, the high jump, I was the closest to being the best. But I wasn't like on our local meets, I would beat everybody. But once it's, we started going to the bigger meets, like the nationals, I'm getting like second, third, fourth. And my coach saw the potential. He's like, look, your goal is to get a college scholarship. I, I I never forgot getting our stuff thrown out, you know, years before. And it's like, man, I know I need to get my education in order to make sure that when I grow up, that doesn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. And so he's like the best Situation where you'll be able to get a scholarship would be if you only focused on high jump during your junior year. And the timing was because that was a, that's the time when the college recruiters are allowed to talk to you, that they're really paying attention to you. So sophomore, freshman and sophomore year, I did all the events. Junior year, I only did the high jump. And then my senior year, I did all the events again. So but we knew that high jump was going to be the bread and butter and the thing that was going to get me closest to my goals.
0: Yeah, and then you you went to state and and meddled right, in the long jump and triple jump.
1: I think, yeah, yep. (laughs) And I think that that was my senior year. It all blurs together. So I think when I finally got to pick up all my events again, I was like, okay, the high jump's in the bag. Now let's just go have fun. And I want to say that year we went to nationals, And we won the four by one, four by two, and four by four also. So, like, we had national. And you were on that team too. Yes. So I was just dripping, like looking like Thanos with all. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's tired. I'm just tired. Uh, I'm just tired listening to it. But that's that's amazing. So then, okay. So then, uh, Georgia Tech, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So tell me about that. So how did you pick Georgia Tech? Um, you know, what was it about that experience? So again, you pretty I mean, you have you've grown up your whole life. Had you even been, have you been to Georgia at that time? Had you been?
1: No. Yeah. Never been to
0: Georgia, never been to Atlanta. Uh, grew up in California. Right. And, yeah, you know, yeah. SoCal in particular, right. Definitely sent yeah. a, a different vibe than yeah. you know, Atlanta and Georgia. So how did you pick, you know, Georgia Tech and obviously a lot of success there, but how did you pick Georgia Tech?
1: So it really goes back to what we were talking about. It's always been my goal to find people that know better than I do to get how to get me where I want to go. And when I picked a school, I needed both. I needed a school that had the academic challenging and the reputation of producing, you know, thought leaders in the world. Um, at that time, I was really, really, really interested in being in business. And so, um, my, I don't know if it's true or not, but I hope it's true. But, um, the recruiter that was recruiting me said that Atlanta was at the top 1% in business in the world at the time. And so I was like, okay, I, I, I I could feel that. I can go, I can go and be part of that. And, um, the coach was, um, he was a coach of the American indoor record holder in the high jump he had already gotten several athletes to the olympics and had the we had we not boycotted the 1980 olympics he would have been an Olympian himself so i knew that he had um the skills and the knowledge right. base to get me to the next level like i could completely trust him and go go in his program and and, and strive and, and thrive
0: <laughs> all right what what was it like i mean do you remember any kind of early on just the differences in you know culture and Just the vibe. Like, do you do you you remember some instances or some learnings early on?
1: I do. So everyone kept telling me it was gonna be a culture shock. I was like, culture shock? What culture shock? What is this? And you know, I love being in California. I love the multicultural diversity. But growing up, I was usually the only black person in my class. Like, like that's just how it was. And 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 I'm not I didn't dislike it, I didn't like it, it's just that's how it was. Yeah. And you know, when I went to Atlanta, everybody was black. I was like, what is going <laughs> on here? And and I love you know, my 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 campus was more diverse, but just being able to really get ingrained in African American culture was amazing for me. And and you know, growing up in California, all my friends, all of my friends came from broken homes, meaning that, you know, their mother was with their father. You know, obviously I had come in from a broken home. And now when I went to Atlanta, I'm seeing these families, these generations of, of, of students that had been going to college and the expectation was different. And, you know, their, their parents were very much involved in their academics, their athletics, their personal life. And I was just like, this is different. I don't know how. How do I? And, and it's it's not expected, but that's what I found there. And then you know, there was a rich pride in history, where you know that being the birthplace of Dr. Martin Luther King, the, the kids were very, very, very knowledgeable about history. And like in California, we everything it's all about what's new and what's latest, what's the yeah. best, you know, what's the most expensive. And it was it was just it was a different it, it caused me to think differently and see things differently where like going to college wasn't the exception it was the expectation and I was like wow I I like this a lot and people they had a very very entrepreneurial spirit or a very business mindset which I wasn't used to seeing like in California it was like you know, the idea was you would eventually work for somebody else, or like, but not that you would have your own business and 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 take part in enterprise. And I just thought that that was great, and I loved it.
0: That's awesome. So shout out to Atlanta. I think that was shout just like most <laughs> endorsement for Atlanta, <laughs> I've heard. Um, so all right. So then, so then, what? I think it's your second year. I think it's your second year. You, you yeah. qualify. You go to Athens. Yeah. So what yeah. was, I mean, what was that like for you? Right. I mean, you're a, I mean, so what, how old are you? 20, 20, 21? 20, 20, 20, you're 20. You've got this 20. dream and yeah. you qualify. Like, tell me, like, what was that experience like? You know, you're again, 20 years old, lifelong dream. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So the first year was a lot of hard work. There was a huge adjustment period, getting used to being responsible for my own schedule, you know, not being told when to go to bed, not being told what clubs not to go to. Cause definitely in Atlanta, there's a few. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to have. Yeah. A lot of fun to have in Atlanta. And, um, you know, that first year I didn't really improve. I didn't get any worse, but I kind of stayed at my high school level all year long. Um, Going into my sophomore year, I was still five inches away from that world-class standard that I needed to be on to be able to qualify. And I'm talking inches in an event where centimeters are, like you are measured by centimeters and misses. And so I had five inches to really improve upon. So my sophomore year, my coach and I really sat down. We developed a plan. And I mean, it was hard work to the point that I had to listen to him completely. And I was throwing up every day in practice from working so hard. And if you read Usain Bolt's book or watch his documentary, he says the same thing. Like he was working so hard. He was throwing up every day. And that's how I was training. And so um, I went from jumping six, one and a half, I think, to like jumping six, six. So now I'm like in the top 10 of the world where before I was like maybe the 50th the best person. So I really jumped a
0: lot. Yeah. Five inches, five inches. separate. Yeah. yeah. As I was looking at all your different records and your know, performance, <laughs> it's all, you know, it's like 0. 0.93 and yep. 1, <laughs> 1.85. So, all right. Yep. So you go to the Olympics, right. And you get a chance mm-hmm. to go and compete. Um, and then, you know, you, you kind of continue on, you, I, I don't believe you reached the finals in that Olympics. Um, but what did, what did that teach you you know what did that experience teach you you know again you know having grown up in California now you've had some experience here now you're going across the yeah. you know, across the world and you know I can't, I can't believe you know what, what did that, what was that experience like and what did that teach you?
1: Yeah so you know when I learned how to high jump like I said in high school trying to figure out how to emulate the best, I would watch the high jump video. Um, from the, I think it was the 96 Olympics or maybe a world championship final, I would watch it every day before school. So I would get up, take a shower, eat breakfast. As I'm eating breakfast, I'd put in this VHS tape. Yes, I'm old. Mm-hmm. Remember this. <laughs> and I would push play and rewind and study these high jumpers so that I would have it ingrained in my mind so that by the end of the day, when I went to practice, I would emulate what I, what I programmed my mind to see. And when I went to Athens all these women that I had been learning to high jump from for the last six years were on the apron with me and it completely blew my mind. I'm supposed to be training and I'm looking around like, and I was in shock. I was there. I was there with them. And I, I think a part of me didn't, I felt like I belonged at the Olympics, but I didn't think through this process enough to mm. realize these other women were going to be there too. And At that moment, I realized I set my goal too low. My goal was to go to the Olympics, and once I made that team, all the steam, all the excitement—just like, oh, I did it. And I didn't have anything else left to actually compete and make the final.
0: So, well, where do you (laughs) think? I mean, if you if you rewind six years and you're watching these tapes, or you rewind all Mm -hmm. these years, where did that? I guess, focus come from, you know, I mean, was it hardwired? Did you, you know, is there any role models or anybody or what do you feel like that, that ability, again, you've talked about it a few times now, that ability to just focus and and just say like, I don't need someone else. I know that this is what I want. I'm going to invest the time. Where do you think that that comes from?
1: yeah so the video was actually given to me by my high school coach um He's the one who had the foresight to give me the video, but he wasn't the one who told me to watch it every day. I think that when i i'm a uh, the type of learner where I see something, I could emulate it so if you could understand the way that you learn best, then you could start giving yourself enough stimulus to be able to um to kind of take advantage of that learning style so for me, I knew I was a visual learner but I'm learning how to high jump from other high schoolers. So if I'm only watching other high schoolers, I can't expect to be a professional. And I knew I was gonna have to be a professional. So I had to, I had to give myself a visualization that I could meditate on and think about and aspire to, even though it wasn't right in front of me. And I think like being in the digital age of information if we could do that today, and that's what I talk to a lot of people about. I do a lot of motiv- motivational speaking. I tell them the same thing: if there's something that you want, find a way to see it. There's no excuses anymore. We have that's right computers in our hand, <laughs> like so. That's where it came from.
0: That's that's yeah. I, and again, I hope that's really interesting. You know, as a, a parent myself too, with the seven year old and the three year old, I think about that a lot. About. You know what's the best way and i guess you know it's it's really trying to find what the best way is for people and that's applied definitely yeah. applies to businesses business as well too where you've got a team of people and a team of leaders and a team of people where each of them have different learning styles and that's kind of our job yes. in in leadership is to try to figure out what's right for that person versus what's easiest you know for me yes um, so yes. so before we before we get to the next olympics so in in the next year, and I believe it's the next year, uh, you're able to go to the World Championships and play second behind, yes. you know, someone who I know is you know a, a
1: you world know, strong record holder, performer. Yeah. In, in <laughs> this,
0: in, in this, so what changed, right? So we talked about before. It, you know, <clears throat> what what changed for you? I mean, literally one year later, you're placing second at the World, you know, Championships.
1: Yes. So I am a strong believer in hindsight is twenty twenty vision, but only if you take that information and do something about it. And immediately after the competition, I realized, oh, my gosh, I set my goals too low. And I was like, OK, well, that doesn't matter if I don't change something. And so immediately as I'm sitting there watching the other women jump in the final, I set my goal for the next year. And it's like, no, next year I'll be in the final. And I'm going to get on the medal stand. And so now, instead of just inadvertently watching videos, trying to learn how to high jump, now I'm only looking at the champions. Okay, who got first, second, third? What was the height of the people who got first, second, third? What is the measurement that needs to be um, jumped in order to make it to the final? And so I didn't even understand the process. Like at the Olympic Games, there's 30 women that are going to start the competition. Then there's a, a... the top 15 will move on to the final. So I need to know, okay, well, what's that height? So then when I started training, I would train two, because the, the competition is going to be two days apart. So I would train one day where I jumped very high and then I would have to come back two days later and jump higher. And that's how I started training every single day to get ready for this competition. Cause I'm like, it's going to come where I have to do these two days back to back. So I did it every single day of training until the, until the Olympic uh, or the wow. world championship final. Yeah.
0: I know you still, you're not going to the clubs at this point, right? You, you're like,
1: no, you've, you've
0: gotten rid of that first, <laughs> that first year, that first year, you yep. know, you're like, okay, this is, this well, is the two, years, year. two years. Two years. <laughs> <laughs> I think you get, you get married in there as well too.
1: Yes, I did. So I met this amazing man. I'm um, actually on the track. He was a triple jumper and we dated, and I don't recommend this, and I tell people this though, because it was love at first sight. We dated for three months and got married. Oh wow. and we just celebrated sixteen years, I think on Saturday.
0: Ah, oh, congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And then and then, you know, why while, <clears throat> while you're in the middle of this, you took a year off. You had your first daughter, Jasmine, who I hear is also a okay. epic high jumper. Um
1: yes. <laughs>
0: so I heard yes, so she's coming for you, I think is is that. But that's got to be great. Yes. Right? It's like she
1: is, but she's also great at volleyball. So Okay. We, you know, tried out for a team, you know, she was playing at school. They're like, "Hey, please come to club." She tried out and she just made the Adidas national team. Ooh. So I'm like, this is a new experience for us and volleyball players historically make amazing high jumpers. We have Destiny Hooker, Aaron Aldrich, So like, it is, it's, it still works. (laughs) I gotcha.
0: I gotcha. And that means like a lot more traveling for you probably too, right? Oh, I think so. (laughs) I think it does. does. So you took a year off, but come back and again, and then you're back in the Olympics again, you're back in, in Beijing. Um, Yeah. And, and this time you get into the finals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. so tell me about that. What was that that first process like of, again, having your, you know, your first daughter, to yeah. having to take a, a break and then getting ready, you know, back for the Olympics. What was, do you remember what that process was like the first time?
1: Yeah. So, and, and kind of like, it wasn't really a year off because 2006 I still competed. I won the national championships. Yep. Um, I don't remember where it was, <laughs> sorry, but it was my first national, No, my second, no, my first national championship was in 2006. I won with a jump of 2.01 meters. So I think it was like six, seven ish, seven, some change. And, um, you know, then we find out in December that we're expecting our first child and she's born July 30th, 2007. And so I have less than a year to get ready for the trials for the next year. So I'm fully nursing. I'm still in school. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to finish at this point. I have 49 hours left it's going to be hard. Let me try to get as many classes done as possible. And I took, I ended up taking 49 hours my last year and I know, I don't know how I did it.
0: (laughs) Why? Why? Just wait, you know, I think it's just, I just,
1: I needed to finish. I took a year off of school that I did to become a professional athlete, but I, I just needed to finish. I knew that it was a goal that I wanted to have, even though track and field was working out. I, I wanted to be able to rest on my education and yeah. so 2008 was a heated mess and and I make that team. I win the Olympic trials like really, really well. And then I make the team and I do my very best. I end up jumping 1.99 meters, which was yep. like second highest jump at the time. And it, it only um, placed me uh, sixth place. So I was like, well, you know, it is what it is. I can't even be mad. I did my very best and you know, I just had to go home and face the music that I had to get a job, <laughs> but it, it was worth it.
0: Well, but then you, but then you're awarded the bronze medal.
1: Yeah. See, I thought we were going to talk about that later, but yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so then let's, let's jump into that. So tell me, I mean, what, again, like what was that experience like for you? You know, again, like you said, you've got to go get a job. You're like, oh man, yeah. I guess this is it. Right. Yeah. And so, but that, I mean, actually, I guess you're right. We'll, we'll, we'll because that, I, I guess I forgot like how much later that happened. It's like eight, <laughs> ten years later. Okay, yes. so so yeah, so all right, so that never happened. Doesn't happen originally then. So you're right. It's like you're still yep. in this mindset, but, but you don't give up. You keep going, right? Like again, so then in yeah you know, two, uh, 2009 2009, um, you're continuing to compete. Yeah. 2010, and in 2010, you know, you, you know, you start to break records, right? So yes. 2010 is is you know a yeah. uh, 2.03. In um, you know, 2.0, you know, uh, 2.04, that yeah. you're, you clear. And so you didn't, I mean, were you working then at that time too? Were you working full time? Did you go home and get a job or were you still, you know, focused on this?
1: Yeah. So you have to remember in 2008 was the height of the economic crisis. That's right. I had just graduated from one of the best schools in the nation. I could not find a job anywhere. I put in over 285 or 80 applications and literally not one callback. Wow. And um, it was just the job market was awful. <laughs> um, as a, I put a four-time Olympian, like I'm not four-time at that time, two-time, two-time. Olympian, yeah. medalist, national champion, like you know, I had all of the time management skills, everything that they say that athletes could bring to an organization, and I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get an opportunity. So eventually, I get a job working at Coca-Cola Enterprises as a contract analyst, and I'm jumping. And then I'd get off of work and I'd go to practice and I was performing horribly. I mean, like, and by horribly, I mean, like, I was jumping 6'5". But, but like, I really need to be in that 6'7", 6'8 range in order to be competitive. And I go to the World Championships and I think I placed seventh and I felt so low. It was... My lowest point, and I think that it, it's great to really talk about this because 2000, the end of 2008 and 2009 was really the setup and the catalyst for 2010. Yeah. And at this point in time, I love dancing. It's like my favorite thing to do other than jumping. And the high jumpers that would win the competition. I'm gonna stand up so I could show you. They would get up and they'd do this little shuffle dance after they were done in front of the
0: cameras.
1: <laughs> and I would just sit there packing my bag and I was so like, felt so dejected and, and like such a really big failure. And you
0: remember that. You remember that like deep in here.
1: I did. And I was like, people were like, well, if you like to dance, why don't you dance? And I was like, why would I dance when I lose? And so then at that point, it's like, okay, if I want to dance, I have to win. But these <laughs> women, <laughs> you know. And so I was like, if these women are winning, they're jumping. The heights that they're jumping would be our American record. They are literally jumping like the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth best time in the, like world history in high jump. So I knew that that's the level I had to be at. So going into 2010, I quit the job. And I was like, look, let's just let's solely focus on track and field. And from day one, like I put on the fire. Usually I like try to build up to it, but I was like, no, we're going to start on day one. We're not going to miss a single day. And 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 that's where we ended up breaking the American record twice mm-hmm. um, with a, what, a two-year-old baby at the time.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. And so, yeah, 2000 so 2010 things are going well. 2012 uh, World Indoor Championships, right? That was your first World Championship.
1: Yeah. So you forgot 2011, I had another baby.
0: That's right. So- <laughs> read- Aurora. I'm sorry, Aurora. I'm sorry. 2011, second daughter, Aurora. I've got yes. it. I've got it right here. I've got it. Don't worry. I yes. got you.
1: No, no, no. So yeah, so that's what made the World Championship so special. Um, In 2010, I got an indoor bronze medal. I believe there was no world championships outdoor in 2010. So, indoors at the 2012 world championships. Is that when I won? I don't remember. Maybe I didn't.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, 2012 was Istanbul. Okay, um,
1: yes. So, with a nursing baby in tow again, I won... The World Championships. I was the champion. So that's pretty awesome. Great feeling to hear our national anthem played um, because of performance I was blessed enough to be able to do. So that was great.
0: That's amazing. And then you go to the Olympics 2012. Yes. Right? Yes. And so this is your third at this point, you know, which puts you at some different level. Also yes. in 2012. I think this is 2012. So you go to the Olympics, right? Again, have a strong finish, make the finals again, finish in sixth place, um, yeah. which is you know pretty amazing and but but I is, is this also the year where you earned your masters degree in mathematics education <laughs> of all
1: things yeah so you know the sting of 2008 still hadn't left me and i knew that like going into the 2012 olympics is like if you don't medal realistically those, those amazing endorsement opportunities don't really come. And so I was like, okay, I want to be set up and I plan to start working after the 2012 Olympics. It was at this point, it was was very difficult to have two kids in tow. You know, my husband's amazing and he's always there, but for us, it was still really, really difficult. So I wanted a backup plan. And I think I want to say I was retiring. Like I was like, I'm done with this. Like I can't do this anymore. (laughs) And, um, you know, I really have a passion for kids and education. So I started pursuing a, a master's degree, a master's of arts in teaching mathematics um, from Western Governors. Um, I'm not sponsored by them, but seriously, they are an amazing school because they allow you to go at your own pace. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's like um, it's kind of like a content based educational plan. So you could. The knowledge that you know will benefit you. Meaning, meaning that if you have experiences or knowledge of, of whatever degree program you're pursuing, it helps you. So, I did that. I was on my computer, like on the way to practice, like writing my papers and almost like in my, the
0: same year. Like what? Like
1: what? Same how year. How yeah. could you <laughs> two kids?
0: Olympics, world champion, getting a master's. A 2012 was a good was year. A it
1: was, was a lot. It was a lot. It so, really was.
0: So, so then you again. So you get a job. You're teaching trigonometry. Um, yes. Have your third third child. do I didn't skip over the, the third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he was got, after. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah, we yeah, got yeah, Mario. Yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: Um,
0: but you don't stop jumping. <clears throat> you keep going. No. Right. No. So 2014. You know, 2015. You're continuing. You know, again, yeah. you're continuing to jump. Um, and then it sounds like 2016. You know, again, or like <clears throat> maybe it's around that time. 2015, 2016. Like yeah. you kind of got back up to that level. So, so, so kind yes. of you, you continued to jump what, 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 like what happened, you know, what happened in that two or yes. three years in 2016, you're back in the Olympics again.
1: Yeah. So we moved to Florida in 2015 and, um, you know, we just, we needed help at that point we were outnumbered. We had three kids, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my mother-in-law and father-in-law lived in Florida they're amazing with our kids. We just needed help. And so we moved to Florida, we like literally packed up our bags, like didn't even sell our house yet. We're like, we're going to Florida. We moved to Florida, we sold the house in Georgia from Florida. And um, that was what the, the hard year was. We were staying like in extended stays and like motels and like just trying to like find a place for us to live. Finally, we got settled, but once again, Chante has to work. And so I took a job as an accountant for Verizon, which was great, by the way, I, re- right. I-, I really liked it. But when I went to the world championships in 2015, which I like try to like not talk about, uh, I actually no hide it for my first time Ever. Ever it was awful, <laughs> but it was because I was working at the same time. I really wasn't yeah. training the way that I, I should have been. We had a really big move, and it's like the best moments for me always come after the most difficult time periods. You can where see you that. Do-do-do-do. You can see these yeah. fl-
0: these these moments <laughs> where you kind of you come out of it, but you come out pretty strong, right? You come out really strong. So 2016. The sound um, I can't hear you now. You, you okay, get then. back. Oh, there you go. So I was just saying. So 2016, you're you're back at it, right? So do you quit the? Yes. you Quit the job? You quit the job and.
1: Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're like no, nah, I'm going. Rio's Rio's coming up. So in, yes. in July you qualify, um, yes. and you're back up at like 2.01 too. So you know yes. it's not like it's not like you're you know getting there. And then you you finish fourth, which is your you know. Like at the time, at the time that that happened, your, your yes. top finish. So, well, I mean, that's got right? it. It's your fourth Olympics. You've, yeah. you've continued to do this. You kind of have taken a break. You come back hard. So what was that experience like for you in Rio? I mean, I have to imagine that was just that had to feel so amazing.
1: That honestly, that one stung the most. And I'm gonna uh-huh. tell
0: you why. I guess yeah, fourth maybe. I guess that's yeah. I'ma
1: tell you why. It's because yeah. I was the most ready than I had that I had ever been for an Olympics. Um what people didn't know, my big secret was that I was jumping 6'8, so 2.03 in practice. I have this conversion differential that always works. Whatever I'm jumping in practice, I always jump two inches higher at the competition. So if I'm jumping 2.03 in practice, I was expecting 208 at the championships at the world at the Olympics what happened was when I went to us to the u.s olympic trials I jumped 2.01 but I stopped jumping I didn't I didn't want everyone to know what I had Mm. I was like no this is strategy Mm. when I came back from the olympic trials the high jump pit that I had been using all year long was taken. It was gone. Completely gone. Like no place to train. And so obviously I'm not. And I always, my other saying that I always say is excuses are patches that you sew on the garment of failure. And I didn't want to tell anybody that I was, there was no high jump pit. So I had to start going all the way to the uh, national training center, which was an hour one way and an hour back, but because of that, I couldn't train the way that I normally did. I had to start giving up like different parts of my training. I was using I was losing two hours of my training every mm-hmm. single day. And that's what happened. So I tried my best, but I it's like I had one arm tied behind my back and it just is what it is. So uh, so that's why it stings. I and then it. the height the height that I jumped and I think you're probably the first person I told this, but, and I'm going to tell you who took it. It was Good. Disney. Disney took it.
0: <laughs> Wait, what? What do you yes. mean?
1: Disney? Disney so took they it? had, they had a, um, they had a sports festival or some type of AAU track meet. And so they took the high jump pit from UCF and they didn't bring it back for months. Like for a yeah, month, yeah. like I'm, the meat was one day. So I like this time. I actually have a portable pit now. I have my own pit in my backyard.
0: That's right. And
1: I have a portable pit.
0: Yeah. So I understand. Like that like, will never never happen, happen again. again. Yeah, that'll never happen again. So Disney. so
1: here's the sting. At the Olympic Games, I felt like that year I was the best prepared to do well. Um. I was the last jumper of the competition. And I jumped to 1.97, which is like elementary height for me. Not really elementary, but like it's very easy, a very easy pedestrian height. And I was the last jumper of the competition and I knocked the bar off. Like I cleared it, everything in my body, but I just knocked it off with my foot. It came down. If I would have made the bar, I was the gold medalist. If I miss it, fourth place. And I missed it. And so... The top four mm-hmm. finishers, we all jumped the same exact height, and it was the lowest winning height in Olympic history. Well, mm. recent Olympic history, yeah. So that there you go.
0: Okay, never mind. I take it. I take it back. <laughs> That's gotta feel good. I'm, that yeah, was a I,
1: sting. <laughs> I,
0: I feel that, but later in the year, you're awarded the bronze, yes. right? Because yes. of some disqualifications.
1: Yes. So once again, I'm at the White House feeling dejected. I'm around all my Olympic teammates. They're wearing their medals. And I'm just like, okay, I I went to the Olympics four times. This is the best I was ever prepared. Oh, and I was just like beating myself up. And I get the call that actually in 2008, three people that finished ahead of me had doping violations. They cheated and I was... I was the 2008 Olympic bronze medalist, and that made me so happy.
0: (laughs) It should. That's amazing. Yeah, I I can imagine. It's like the sting. And then again, we we were talking about it before the, you know, now you're here, and then, you know, it comes back up. And so that's amazing. I always
1: keep it close. So it's it's never too far (laughs) from me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I get that. I get that. All right, so fast, so fast forward. Obviously, 2019, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you're diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, which, from mm-hmm. everything I can see, is you know not a great diagnosis by any stretch. Yeah. Um, and you know, you had to undergo a double mastectomy, uh, chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what has that? And obviously, then you come out of it, right? And and we'll go back, and then as we go forward, you come out of it, and you're like. All right. Well, I'm going to start training for Tokyo. Right? Like, <laughs> let me try to let's try to get back into it. So, what was that journey like for you between the diagnosis to 2021, where um, you know, your first, com- you know, your first competition? You know, what was that journey like for you?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we've seen the pattern here that every time that I have a year that just pretty much punches me in the throat, um, I come back and have a pretty good year after. So, I would say that 2019 was a punch in the throat year. And then 2020 like had to be the year where, you know, things were different. And I think that my mindset throughout the entire process was not really about myself. And I could honestly say that it was about my goals, what I wanted to achieve for myself and for my family, um, going to, and, and represent even my country that, that was really important to me going into the last four Olympic games. What made me train for the Tokyo 2020 games was that I understood the, the media exposure, being able to get in front of microphones, and I felt like like there was a really serious threat to my life, meaning that cancer yeah. tried to kill me, you know And I understood that that was not just my threat alone, but that it impacts several million. Men and men and women, men can get breast cancer and women, not only in our country, but in this world. And I felt like I was never fully aware of the dangers of it until I got it, until I had that diagnosis myself. And I felt like maybe if I was on the Olympic stage, maybe if I was I I was fighting so hard to do something so crazy that people would listen. And I wanted to make people aware that this isn't an old woman's disease. I was 34 when it came. I was healthy. I was fit. I never drank. I never smoked. Like, I not a hookah, not a nothing. Like, that's not my thing. So everything statistically should say that I, I shouldn't have gotten this disease, yet it happened. So I wanted to make people aware that it's something that you should be looking for and what you could do to protect yourself. And, and that's really what training for the, my fifth Olympics was about, was about getting the opportunity to put this out there and allow people to hear this message. And so that's why I fought so hard. That's why I trained so hard. I really felt like this was going to be the up year, which it was from a media standpoint and a platform standpoint. It was fantastic. But then we all got punched in the throat with 2020. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so it can go nowhere but up from here.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, it gave you extra time to train too, you know, so it you did. were able to, to, I think, yeah, like you said, you had a makeshift high jump pit yes. in the in the backyard.
1: I did. And like I had, you know, the weights in my garage, um, tra- it, it allowed me to see that there's so much more in me and all these years and everything that I went through leading up to this moment, even the conditioning of my mind was led for this most difficult time. I was very, very well prepared for it. Um, training was difficult. Some days I had a walker some days, you know, it was, it was a matter of just laying down and doing crunches because I couldn't walk, but I forced myself to do something every day and getting to jump for the first time and go to my first track meet. Like it may, it brought me to tears because I knew how far I had come and, and to, to be able to get to that point to say, I'm a high jump break in was, was yeah. fantastic.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Well, look, it's again, your whole life and journey is, has been, I think, uh, just a great inspiration for hopefully a lot of people listening where they can understand how to persevere and to be relentless and to, you know, continue to persevere. And, and so I have to ask, you know, what's next? Right. So you've done all these, you've had all these accomplishments. Um, and maybe for you, you're, you're not satisfied. I can, I can imagine just <laughs> from talking to you this, I don't think you're satisfied with, with where things <laughs> are. Um, what's next for you? You know, what are you really excited about? I think it's, it's amazing again, to be able to use your platform to bring awareness to this and to be yeah. able to talk about, you know, breast cancer and its impact on people and, um, you know raising awareness to where hopefully people, you know, Go get checked that may not have gotten checked or, you yeah. know, take it more seriously and, or, or maybe we're able to support those around them that, that might be going through it. And, and so obviously, you know, uh, you've been a big advocate in kind of bringing this awareness and, and what's next yeah. for you? What's the next, what's the next chapter look like for Ashante?
1: Literally chapter. So I'm writing this story, this book. Um, there's it's two books. The first one is about my childhood and that whole mindset and everything that I went through. I go into detail about you know coming up in a home with domestic violence, homelessness, but like how I saw it. There were so many opportunities that I was able to take a part of. Um, and that book is going to come out next spring, but it's go it's through Scholastic. So I've re- I wrote it as a children's book of uh, middle okay. graders but adults will love it. So I it's kind of it. like Shrek. You know how like okay, Shrek is like yeah. it's for kids but adults enjoy it. And then um I do speaking. I do I speak every day, <laughs> which is great with this virtual platform, but I think that there's a lot of lessons, and you highlighted them that I I'm able to articulate and kind of translate to the world of business. And what's the point of going through these things if you're just talking about yourself but not really showing people how they could apply it to their lives and driving them to action? So I do that. I do um, uh, uh, c level suite coaching. So I'm doing all that I love leadership it. and yes. And then I have a TED Talk coming up, which I'm oh, super excited about. Awesome. So I'm really going to talk about, you know, what I learned through this journey. And like I said, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. I learned a ton through being diagnosed with breast cancer, through having COVID myself, through training for an Olympic Games, through, a, through chemotherapy and double mastectomy. And I'm really going to bring all that together in a TED Talk um, for Boca Raton, Broca Raton. I'm probably saying that wrong. Boca. Just
0: Bo- say Boca. We all know what you do Boca
1: say. <laughs> in January, and then you know I'm continuing on with um, as a worldwide ambassador for the American Cancer Society and Susan G. Komen to really spread this um, this breast cancer awareness. I'm still training, so you know that's
0: what I was going to ask. Are you still training?
1: <laughs> I am. I'm on my off break right now, so that's probably why it wasn't the first thing on my list. But yes, I'm training for the World Championships in Eugene in july or august july or august you guys have to look it up
0: but i will i'll look it up yeah and then i think what you're going to do is you're going to quit everything you're going to quit the coaching and then next year you're going to focus 100 on on high jump again
1: i'll probably get a job again look at your i've got
0: to look i mean (laughs) you're probably right there's probably these these no i mean you got to keep doing what you're doing it's it's i I love the coaching it's 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 amazing Um just just to be to, to be able to talk through it with you and and hear it. And I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of takeaways. So Shante, I I really appreciate (laughs) you joining me. Um, I had a lot of fun uh, kind of walking through this and, and learned a lot. And I hope you did as well too.
1: I definitely did. Thank you for having me, Jake. You have an amazing show. Keep up the good work.
0: Thank you. And thank you everyone. We'll see you next week on the Jake Dunlap show. All right. Thank you so much everyone for tuning in to another extremely fun and interesting episode. I thought it was fun and interesting. So I hope you did too of the Jake Dunlap show uh- really great just breaking down everything that makes people who they are the success the trials and errors and i hope that you enjoyed it as much as i did make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and make sure more than anything to go over to jakedonlap.com that's where you're going to stay up to date on all the latest guests additional details prep notes we're going to be sharing everything on jakedonlap.com so go ahead go over there you can subscribe there as well too and we will see you next week on the Jake Dunlap show